friends to the Mail Right Real Estate Agent Podcast Show. We're on episode 112, and we have a fantastic guest today from Texas. We have Corey Thompson of GBT Investments. Uh, Corey, welcome to the show. For having me. You are welcome, sir. We're going to dive into some questions here in a minute. I want to let Jonathan uh, have an opportunity to introduce himself. Oh, hi there, folks. I'm the founder of Mail Right. We're a software-based company that provides quality leads through Facebook. Back to you, Thomas. And I'm Thomas J. Nelson. I'm a residential realtor and investor here in San Diego, California, where I'm never too busy for your referrals. And we're going to dive into some questions today with Corey from GBT Investments. And uh, Corey, I'm going to start out with a very rudimentary question. What's GBT? Uh, Grosbeck, Texas. Ah, okay. So that's where you're based? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's where that's where we, we were born and raised. It's a town of about three thousand people here in Central Texas, a little bit east of Waco. Um, so we just when me and my partner we went to high school together, and that's just kind of where we landed on a name. Gotcha. Now, uh, before we dive into things, uh, how are you guys as far as uh, the hurricanes and everything? Uh, we actually have a owner finance property in Corpus, and we just put another one under contract down there, which is about four hundred miles south of us. Okay. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to be going down there um, within the next couple of weeks and taking some supplies and everything to the Corpus area. So we've we've got several um, different uh, churches and stuff here in our, our area that, that are taking donations that we're going to take down there. Um, we, I mean, it, it, my partner lives in Katy, so his house almost flooded. It got all the way into his garage, um, but spared. Uh, his in-laws also live in an area that had a mandatory evacuation. Uh, they had a second uh, two-story house, but they were fine. We know some investors that that have a lot of properties that are underwater. So, um, you know, our thoughts and prayers are always with the people of Houston. But, um, you know, Texas comes together. We had a, tons of people from our hometown go down there and help out. And uh, we, we sent some resources down there for them, too. So That's good to hear. Well, you've got our prayers and best wishes coming to you from California and Nevada from Jonathan and I. Thank you. All right. Well, let's get into what uh, GBT Investments is all about. So uh, let's start with what is your primary focus? How do you create income for yourselves and how are you creating income for your clients? What we do, um, well, our clients are probably that do the best are hard money lenders. Uh, we have a ton of uh, private lenders that we utilize. Um, you know, we give them turn interest only. We use the Burr method to buy uh, and hold rentals um, in the Waco market. It's an area that we can get to, you know, it's relatively close. And then, of course, in our hometown, we have, uh, you know, I think we're holding right at 50 doors right now is where we're at within our rental portfolio and owner finance notes. So, um, you know, the value we bring for most of our clients, which would be, you know, tenants and people that want to owner finance houses are, uh, you know, we maintain our properties very well. And then on the backside of that, if, if we take out a, a hard money loan or something like that, we're normally getting into the properties at about 50% of what they're worth. So there's a ton of equity there. We don't never want to default on a loan, but if we do have to sell, um, you know, because for whatever reason they're protected or if they end up with the property, they're, they're normally um, sitting at a 2% rent, um, you know, property because that's how we buy. So now how are you able to purchase properties at 50% on the equity dollar? Uh, the, the, we, we do use a lot of bandit signs for our marketing. Um, and we invest in a neighborhood in, in Waco that 
I don't know why people don't like it, but it's got kind of a negative connotation. Um, where all of probably eighty percent eight were um, Mexican American, and you know we have a seven unit apartment complex there that we were able to buy for forty five thousand dollars, and. For, for, for context, pardon my interruption, but for context, what would that street value be? Or what would the retail value be of that same complex? We are cashing out of it tomorrow on a bank loan. The bank appraisal came back at 153000 Wow. When they down from one hundred and seventy-three. Um, and, and the thing about that is, is people will always look and say, why did you go in there and do that property owner that way? We didn't. We, she called us off a bandit sign. Uh, she said she wanted to sell it. We asked her how much. She said forty-five thousand, and we brought a contract to her. Um, you know, the gross rents on it were twenty-two hundred a month at the time. One unit still vacant. Um, we're going to rehab it and, and get a tenant in there. But it's a property that, whenever you look at it from the street, it's not impressive. It's not something that you know it looked like it needed a lot of work. Um, you know, we put a fresh coat of paint on the outside for the insurance. They wanted us to do that. Um, you know, we're going to put a roof on it. The electrical's already been done. We just got to finish it up. The, the previous owner had done it. It's it's something that just looked intimidating to a lot of people. But for us, like, hey, if we're buying this at 45, could we sell it for 45 tomorrow? Absolutely. Anybody would pay that for it just for the rental income. So it wasn't a high risk for us. Um, and now we're just slowly doing a rehab on it. After we get the, the bank loan tomorrow, the bank's loaning us $120,000 against that property. So that'll give you an idea. We're leaving uh, after we pay our lender because the way we structure our deal with our lender is they get 12% regardless if we stay in the loan for three months or a year, they get 12% for the year. So, um, you know, they, they're going to, our investors going to do very well because we've only had that property about four months uh, now and we're getting the bank loan on it. Um, and we'll, we'll put some of that money back into it. But I mean, overall, that'll just be for our own preventative maintenance. Um, I don't, I don't ever anticipate selling that property. It's just too, too good of a property. Um, so, so let me ask you about the financing though. The, um, so when you're, what you're doing is are your hard money loaning to buy them and then you're refining out uh, after three or four months typically? Yes, sir. The, I mean, we don't have to, the bank doesn't require that they season at all. Um, so it's just, we don't, we, we take multiple properties into the bank at once. So we try to get six properties before we go to the bank for a loan. So we kind of stretch that out with different private money lenders. I see. They're just friends and family and we're using their IRAs or, you know, private, you know, whatever money they have lying around. Sure. Uh, we those properties and, and another one, you know, we've only had another one on a bank loan for, um, uh, or on a hard money loan for a little less than a month that's going into that same loan. That one we're in it at 35 and it's rented for 800 a month. Mm. Um, Back with a forty-five thousand dollar appraisal, so we didn't hit our fifty percent mark there. But for the purchase price to rent, you know, it's greater than two percent, which is what we look at, and it's a Section Eight tenant. Um, you know, so that's I, I think the the answer to that is we buy in a neighborhood that other people drive through and say, I don't want no part of this. Um, we we realize how where Section Eight looks. Um, you know, if you got central heat and AC, new windows things like that, um, you know, they'll, they'll pay more money for rent because the, the utility bills for the client are less. So we kind of learned that and then we were able to pick up these properties for ten fifteen thousand $15,000, go put 20 in them 
and then about the minimum Section 8 rent for a 3-1 is $800 a month. So, you know, we've got another one that's 1000 we got another one that's 1100 a month. So, you know, I mean, it's greater than market rent because that property that's rented for 1100 a month would probably only do 800 not Section 8. Um, you know, the other ones would probably go 600 not Section 8. So, you know, we, we offer it out at that and, and, you know, make it Section 8 approved. And I think people don't want to deal with those tenants, even though those tenants are great tenants. Um, just, you know, most yeah. of them are Let's talk about that for a second in case some of our listeners don't understand what we're talking about, Section 8. Um, and, uh, Corey, fill in the blanks here. I'm going to give a really broad stroke description of essentially it's a, it's a government-funded um, supplement to a low-income family rent, and they have to meet a certain criteria to qualify, and they have to maintain that criteria to stay in the program, which – in California, it's like a four or five year waiting list to get on it. So they take it very seriously. Uh, it, for the landlord, it is uh, a large percentage of the rent guaranteed because it's being paid by the government program and it's supplemented by the income and payment of the tenant. Um, and what I've seen is 70, 80% covered uh, typically on Section 8s that I've dealt with on my rental properties, which I have taken Section 8. Uh, before and I'll tell you the last section eight person I took to get rid of the stigma was a nurse working in a hospital where my nieces were born so it was we're not talking about um, people that just came off the streets we're talking about people that are in jobs that um, are required to have them living in an area that's completely uh, out of their budget normally but the, the commute uh, to live where they could afford would be ridiculous to work at that job. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, that's, you're absolutely 100% correct. And when you're in single family housing, um, it seems, and I don't know if there's a rule to this or whatever, but most of the people that are, that are eligible for single family housing or have a siphon big enough to get a single family house have been in the, in the system, in the program for a long time. They've been in for years so you're not getting somebody who just jumped in and, you know, might fell out or flunk out or tear your property up. You're getting somebody with a long rental history. Um, one of our tenants have been in their previous property for nine years. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that Section 8 does do is they come by and inspect the property yearly and you have to make repairs. And, you know, our yearly inspections, when we go in and do the rehab, we're putting in new hot water heaters, brand new AC units, uh, new roofs, painting. So our, our, Year, year to date, we've had two of them in the program for a while now, for a couple of years, and um, we've not had to do any repairs to them whenever they've came by for their yearly inspection because we've gotten all the deferred maintenance out of the way at the front end. So, um, it, you know, for us, we did not know about it. That's the funny part about this investor game is I was trying to wholesale a property in East Waco, and when I called a guy, um, seen a sign and was talking to him. Um, his eyes lit up when I told him the price and I was like, wait, why, did, why are you so excited about this? Nobody likes this neighborhood. And you know, then he, then he explained to me what I just explained to y'all. And I was like, well, I'm not selling this to you then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and, uh, so anyways, we did it. We ended up with $27,000 in that property and we got it rented for 700 a month. And, and it kind of opened our eyes to, all that we had been ignoring in that neighborhood because we had a ton of leads 
for less than $10,000 there, you know, that we just never wanted to do because at the time we didn't want to be landlords, you know, but your business progresses, you know, you go through a couple of winters of starving, trying to flip houses and you realize, you know, you have a couple of rentals, which you looked at as your failures because I couldn't flip them. So now I'm renting them and they're paying your bills and you're like, Hey, I should probably pay more attention to this than trying to flip houses and make, you know, 30,000 a month. So yeah, there's a, you know, there's a season for flipping that uh, it certainly has a valid time. Um, I've, I've seen investors do well with it, but then, you know, like right now uh, it's, it's a more challenging time to do fix and flip in Southern California. So I, I'm talking to people more about buy and hold and, uh, and that's the school I come from. I mean, we've done rehab and buy and hold, um, since I could hold a hammer. So it's, um, you know, I've never really been part of the fix and flip scene um, as an investor. I've only done it um, to uh, represent investors as a realtor um, and watch that happen really successfully during the great uh, recession that we went through back in 06. So my question to you, though, is going back a little, you, you're talking about clients or, or sellers that are willing to sell their home um, for 50, 60 cents on the dollar type of thing. What, what, are, what are you finding their situation? What, what is their situation, in other words, that um, puts them in this position where, where what you're actually offering them is helpful and not detrimental? Because you mentioned like how people were judging you on you know, how, how could you take advantage of that. But if they looked at it out of context, they might feel that way. But it, within context... You were actually helping her, but why? Explain why that was helping her and people like her. Hired landlords, um, people who became landlords um, because that was the first house they bought. They lived there their entire lives, and then, you know, they got more money, and, you know, that house was paid for, so they just started renting it out. Um, You know, at that point in time, they didn't mind it. They had good tenants, but as years progressed, you know, they didn't hold back any money or do any – deferred maintenance and the property just started eating them up. And then it got to a point to where they're just like, Hey, I can wash my hands of this. Um, that's, I mean, every one of these properties is that way. The previous mm-hmm. owner flex lived at the seven plex, you know, um, she, you know, I mean, it's just, she had owned it. She had lived there. It had served her pur- its purpose. And I don't know, I, I never asked her why 45, you know what I mean? It wasn't, wasn't really, the, you know, my decision, uh, you know, so we, we paid her what she wanted and, and every, I would say every property is like that. We don't really negotiate with the, with the seller. I mean, um, you know, if they have a price in mind and it meets up with us, then that's what we do. But we try to, on, on our East Waco properties, um, it's hard. The appraisals were the scary part because we didn't know at the time what a property would appraise for there. So we had to look at it like we can park our cash here and not worry about it. But as when we went to the bank for a loan, that's whenever we found out we had really, 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 um, hit a grand slam with this model. Um, like for instance, I listened to a, a podcast and, and a guy talked about creating a taxable event when you flip a property. Right. And he, you know, he buys and holds and he, he has a, a day job. So he's making huge amounts of money and he just takes that and buys real estate with it. Well, every now and then he goes back and he shares the sheep. He borrows money against the property. It doesn't create a taxable event. When I heard that, I was like, hey, you know, so I started looking at the numbers on our flips and basically you're selling a property for 87 cents on the dollar 
when you're flipping it because you got closing costs, holding costs, everything else. So you're selling it for 87 cents on the dollar. And I can argue this point with investors all over the country all day in these different Facebook groups. So you're flipping, selling it at 87 cents and you don't get any long-term benefits of it. Or you can season it if the bank requires seasoning, borrow 80% against it. It's a seven cents or 7% spread, but you don't have to pay taxes. You know what I mean? So if you are buying a property deep enough to make money on a flip, you're going to make more money if you either find a credit partner, find a way to borrow your equity back out of it, take that money, put it in the bank and go do it again. Um, than you would if you're just a traditional flip investor. And I, and I think for some people, it's hard for them to wrap their mind around that at first. Uh, but if you have the credit to do it, there's no reason why you should ever um, flip a property unless it's just something that's, you know, so high priced that, that it doesn't make sense to rent, which, you know, I don't, we don't deal in that market. I don't, we don't buy 200,000. Well, in, in our market, $200,000 is probably like a $700,000 house in y'all's market. Um, but, you know, I mean, we just don't deal in that, in that market for rentals, you know, um, so we wouldn't, I mean, we wouldn't entertain buying one. We would definitely buy one to owner finance. But we don't really want to top that lot either. So um, on those, we would always probably our hotel wholesale them, do something different with them um, for somebody that likes that model. But, you know, for us, we're, we like anything less than a hundred thousand um, that we can get 2% rent on and, and that's it. I think um, Thomas, we better go for a break. Oh yeah. And then, and then when we come back, we're going to, Let's some more from Carrie Thomas uh, and invested in the front lines, I would say. Um, I think he's got a lot of really interesting advice to you who might be thinking or have a client that's thinking of investing in property in the present climate. We'll be back in a minute. Do you want quality leads from homeowners and buyers right in your own neighborhood? Then you need MailRight. It is a powerful but easy-to-use online marketing system that uses Facebook to generate real estate leads at a fraction of the cost you'd pay from our competition. We stand behind our work with a no-question-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Get started today. Go to mail-right.com. We're coming back. Got my great co-host, Thomas, and we've been talking to Corey. Um, and we, we've been learning a fair bit, haven't we, Thomas? Back to you, Thomas. All right. So, Corey, tell me a little bit about your company. How many, how many people on your team, and, and are you all working out of the same office? How, how, how are you set up? Uh, our, our team fluctuates. Uh, my brother helps us with, the, with some of our marketing, with some of our direct mail marketing, um, you know, and helps us with our bandit sign campaigns. Um, it's friends and family. Um, my, my business partner, his mother is our property manager. So, you know, um, she gets, uh, um, a paycheck, um, when neither one of us do, but, uh, anyways, I mean, it's kind of, that's, that's it. And, and then there's my business partner who, um, really is the, the Jacob, you know, he, Jacob Gurrell does 90% of the work. Um, you know, I, I end up getting a lot of the recognition um but jacob's in the back doing all the stuff that i i mean i i could not he keeps the books um you know he lets me know who paid rent who hasn't paid rent you know i mean it, it, it's like a full-time job what he's doing in the background and then i'm i'm out evaluating properties um putting eyes on leads making offers and stuff like that and it's a really good team because he's he's down in houston he's in katie 
Um, I'm up close to Dallas. There's a couple hundred miles difference between us, but it gives us a big footprint. Um, yeah. you know, I'm that we're, we do properties in Corpus. Um, we do owner finance down there subject to owner finance, which is, you know, what my mentor, um, an attorney here in Dallas named Scott Horn has taught me. Uh, but it's just a great way to pick up cash flow. So we'll do those in those, in the, in spread out markets. We've got owner finance notes all the way from Fort Worth, um, that we got one down in Corpus. We're about to have two in Corpus and sprinkled out everywhere in between. Um, that's something that gives us an opportunity um, to generate cash flow for very little capital because most of the time we get all of our capital back out of it when we get our down payment. So, it, you know, we, people ask all the time, what's our specialty? And I, I don't, I don't know that I have an answer. Um, we, we love the Burr method for buying rentals. What is that method? Um, I think Burr stands for buy, rehab, um, refinance. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but, the, but it, what it is is you buy cash and then you borrow your, your money back out of it Right. Uh, as a rental. If you get a bank, the bank is the key, the key, um, player in this. If you get a bank that'll do a loan to, to value loan versus a loan to cost, then you need to tap out that resource. Uh, we did it here in town. Uh, they won't loan us any more money. So we had to go bank shopping. <laughs> and we found <laughs> that loan is they probably have memories of uh, 2006, 2011, people getting a little overextended. Well, they do, but I mean, it's it, really for them that they changed ownership. It, it, you know, uh, the attorney, the attorneys that own that bank or started that bank, um, kind of funny because he's my, he's our title attorney here in town, it's small town stuff. They sold the bank and, and um, you know, the new bank came in and we just didn't kind of have the, the, I don't know, the stroke, I guess you could say. But we, you know, through networking, we found another bank and we took them up our portfolio and said, hey, would you loan on this? And when they came back and told us what they would loan on it, our jaw dropped and we're like, how many more of these loans will y'all do? And they said, well, you know, if as many as we'll probably do another five or six for y'all, we'll do one every six months. And we said, hey, we can now build a business model around this, you know, where before it was kind of mystery shopping. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, if we go buy these six rentals, are we going to be able to get them on a bank loan? Um, so, you know, it's hard to, the way the books look when you're doing subject to, um, it kind of, it can mess up your deals. So we had, we're going to need to break some of those off into their own entity. Um, you know, we need to do that for asset protection too, but, um, you know, there's some different things that we have to do to whenever we go to get bank loans, because when you're buying a property owner finance for hundred percent of what it's worth, and then you're selling it owner finance and just making money on the interest rate spread on, you know, you're paying out 6% interest, but you're charging your uh, buyer 10% interest. So you're making a couple hundred bucks a month. But when you do that on your books, it, it, there's no equity there. You know what I mean? You're, you've got a value for value deal of trust. There's, you know, there's nothing added to your net worth and it's actually kind of a detriment, even though you own or finance that house from a lady, you know, in Corsicana and that she's holding the debt. And so we, we learned some of the hard things about um, structuring the books and things to stay in the, the, the good bank. Um, and, you know, I guess we could talk about that all day on its own episode. Well, let's talk about a couple of things that you brought up. Just, I just, I never like to assume everyone listening knows everything we're discussing. So let's, let's just go over the basics of uh, owner financing and subject to let's, let's start with owner financing. It's, it's literally what you're saying, but, but describe it a little so people understand it. 
So what we do, every, every house that we go to, we make two offers. We make a cash offer and an owner finance offer. Okay. okay. So if we go into a property and they're like, Hey, and it really, what, what fits their needs? I need $50,000 cash right now. And I've got a house that's worth a hundred. Obviously we're going to make that deal. But if I need $50,000 cash right now and the property's only worth 70, you're probably not going to buy that. So you're in a negotiation where, you know, Hey, how can I fit this need? So it's asking more questions. Hey, what do you need today? Well, I only need really 10 grand. Well, would you owner finance me this house for 70 and I give you 10,000 and then I pay you a 6%, 6% interest and it's protected by your asset, your house, you know, and you can foreclose on me if I don't pay. Right. And got a little steady stream of income and you've your most pressing need, the $10,000 is in your pocket and you don't have to take a low ball offer. Right. That, we will then go sell that property. We might raise the price a little bit. Um, you know, we might raise it to 75, 80. Uh, to try to get a little bit of equity spread, but we don't typically do that too much um, because we know we can make money on between 6% and 10% um, on that. And we can pick our 10,000 that we put down back up from the end buyer. So it's just a way for us to add maybe a hundred, $150 a month cash flow um, that, that gets through the winter months and we don't have to expend a lot of capital to do it. And in our, um, it kept us off the books of the banks. You know what I mean? They wouldn't be able to see that debt except for whenever you go apply for a bank loan, they want to look at your books and then they right. see that. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, let's, um, before we get too far down the road, I want to uh, jump back to uh, the subject two strategy. Will you talk about that? So subject two is I have a property that I owe money on uh, from a bank and you know, it might be, you might not have any equity or the equity you do have, the property might need a bunch of work to actually get that equity. Mm -hmm. So what we'll do is we'll just take over payments on the property. The property gets deeded to us. The deed comes to us, but the original loan stays in place. We're not assuming it, assuming it is I'm now responsible. The original seller stays responsible for that debt. So now we're making payments on the property and the, the debt stays in the previous owner's lane. Um, depending on where the property's at um, will be our exit strategy. If it's here local, we'll rent it out. If it's somewhere way off like Corpus, then we'll sell it owner finance and wrap their mortgage. And it's in Texas, it's a legal transaction. I, you know, I don't know about the other states. I think you know, proper disclosures always uh, what you have to do. You have to notify the bank, you have to do different things, but you know, um, we were able to do that and, and stay in the good graces of the real estate laws here in Texas. Um, they did have some legislature that they tried to get through this last session. So they, they are coming after it, but it, it is a great, great way to buy property if you don't have um, a lot of money, uh, you know, at first, because you can recapture that cap, that capital, um, get the down payment. Now, I, and I would imagine the the strategy between uh, seller finance notes versus a subject two would uh, depend on the seller situation, and as you said, they, also the equity situation. But um, what do you find is a harder sell? Um, it's they're both about the same. Um, you know, I mean, to be perfectly one thousand percent honest, the the ones, most of the time, the people that are most amicable to a subject to are going through a divorce. Mm. Uh, and it's, 
you know, it's something where they, neither one of them want each other to walk away with that equity because, <laughs> and they also don't want to tank each other's credit. You know, they're selfish enough to want to hold on to that credit. So um, we actually started marketing divorces for that reason. As we, you know, we, we were working foreclosures and the more foreclosures we worked, the more we realized that, you know, divorces were where we were able to actually pull off a subject to transaction. So we started marketing divorces. We get those lists from a company called rebogateway.com. Uh, they have divorce different counties. You pay for it county by county. In some counties they have divorce lists, but you know, we, we did some interesting marketing on that at first and it was not pretty. Um, I, I wrote a letter that said divorce sucks, but just cause you're losing your marriage doesn't mean you have to lose your credit. What I did not realize is a lot of people go file for divorce, but they don't tell their spouse that they've <laughs> So I was getting a ton of calls, but it was mainly people being like, Hey, I'm going through divorce. Where'd you find that out at? I'm like, Oh man, I'm so, you know, so anyways, dude, if you're going to market divorces, my, my word of advice is market it like any other property, just write letters. Do not bring up the word divorce. Cause you do not want to be the person on point announcing to a lot of people that they're going through divorce. And that was, that was, a- <laughs> yeah. well, that's good advice. Um, <laughs> let, let me, uh, <laughs> I think you, 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 you struck a chord with my co-host here. <laughs> um, let, me, let me ask you this. The, um, the strategies that you're using, um, where did you – you know, I, I would imagine there's a lot of people looking at getting into investing today that might be listening to this show. How did you learn these strategies? Did you know these strategies before you got started, or were these all strategies you learned along the way, and was there trial and error? Um, speak on that a little bit, you know, the journey that you've been on. Oh, lots of trial and error. Um, you know, like I I worked in an industry where I was making $30,000 a month and I was only working 14 days out of the month. I was extremely blessed. I thought I would do that the rest of my life and, you know, save some money and retire. I had no concept of money or investing. I wouldn't invest in anything. My idea was to save and I got laid off from it. And so, at that point in time, I had to figure something out. My business partner, Jacob Gurrell, had been looking into investing in real estate, and he asked me to help him buy some rental properties. I wanted to flip. You know, he understood the value of rental properties, and we took off, and I knew nothing about real estate. Um, the very first week, because I had, I had my own money, and that, that – that makes it that, sorry, I got a phone call, but that, that, uh, that makes a difference in your confidence. Um, when you're playing with your own cash, you're, you're, uh, I guess you're more willing to lose it is the way I looked at it. Cause if I, if I fail at this, it's my money. I can do what I want with it. This was my mentality. So I'm, we made three offers on three houses. The very first week I was in real estate, I guess you could say from the time we made the decision, we went to a networking event, stood on the sidewalk. I said, Hey, are we going to go do this? He said, yes. The next week I went to an auction, met an investor, um, showed me two properties here in my hometown that were for sale. We bought both of them. And then I got on Craigslist, found another one that was two and a half hours away from us. And we bought it to pay cash for all of them, paid cash for the rehabs. And, uh, you know, it was right there early on, had this little house that we were doing here in my hometown and some people pulled up and asked, hey, would you own or finance this? I don't know what that means, um, but yeah, probably how much money down do you have? Well, we got $25,000 down. Oh, well, we had $23,000 in the property. 
you know, so it was a no brainer for us that we're going to yeah. owner finance it to these people. <laughs> so we owner financed it to them for 47,000. We gave them a really sweet interest rate. We've been making $200 a month off that property ever since. Don't sound like a lot of money, but get a hundred of them. And now you're doing something right. and you don't have to deal with tenants or toilets. So it introduced us to that strategy. Um, as we continued on, we, we started listening to podcasts and doing different things. I read, uh, got introduced to a guy named Grant Cardone, started listening to some of his stuff and kind of changed my whole mindset and started looking at it as a business and learning um, the, you know, look, just, you would, you would spend this money to do this marketing and then you wouldn't close any deals. And it's like, well, where, where was I falling short? Well, somebody calls me and they're like, Hey, I want to sell my house. Cool. I want to buy it. How much do you want? 10,000. Uh, okay. Well, I don't have 10,000. Thanks for calling. Click. You know what I mean? Instead of trying to find out a way to monetize that right. lead and also developing a, a pitch for lack of a better word, you know, learning how to pitch a foreclosure, learning how to pitch a divorce, learning how to build value in your offer to where, um, as you're making that offer, you know, look, what advantage do I have over all other investors? I'm not a wholesaler. I will wholesale, but if I wholesale, I'm going to tell you the seller, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to let you in on this. Hey, I'm going to go make $10,000 selling this contract. If you're not happy about that, we don't need to do business, but also building the value of it and saying, Hey, look, if I put this property under contract, I guarantee you, I'm going to find somebody to buy it or I'm going to close on it. And so when I go in and make my offer, I would tell people, and I mean, if I go in and put a property on a contract, I will put a thousand dollars down on the option all day long because I feel like I know what I'm doing. If somebody comes in here and makes you an offer and they won't buy a thousand dollar option period, they're not a serious buyer. Well, people would call me back three days later. Hey man, nobody will pay that thousand dollar option period. Well, hell no, they won't. You know what I mean? Like I, I knew they won't because they're all trying to be wholesalers. Uh oh, yeah. Hey baby, can you give me a minute? My daughter's walking up. So, anyways, <laughs> uh, here in the office. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's kind of that, that's as we journeyed through it, we learned a lot of lessons, and we learned them with the flips. Um, baby, you can't play with that right here. She's got her Doc McStuffins bag out. She's about to give me a shot or something. <laughs> uh, we learned a lot through trying to flip our way to thank you, baby, to success. Um, it, became, it became a lot like work. And at the end of it, we weren't, we weren't making the money we thought we were going to make. So we had to, we had to develop a new strategy and, and we went for that passive income because that's what everybody who's getting wealthy in real estate is doing. They're not flipping their way to wealth. They're, they're acquiring rentals. So. Well said. Uh -huh. I think that um, I think that's a good end to this interview, Thomas. Uh, um, and I probably agree that um, would like to wrap it up, Thomas. Okay. Well, Corey, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. Um, if folks want to get a hold of you, um, either for advice on starting a business like yours in their area, or if they're in Texas and they want to do business with you, how would they get a hold of you? Uh, I, I've got this page um it's called roughneck to real estate um we're, we're trying to grow that page we we do a little marketing class it's not much we don't we don't really even charge for it i mean we did the last one for free it's just a way for us to grow our network um and i also have a facebook group called roughneck to real estate where i go live in the group all the time and okay. show that we do um i did that because my personal facebook people were finding me that I was marketing to and they were, and I was giving advice to investors on there on live video and it was 
freaking out for me because, you know, um, you, when you're talking about how you're buying these properties and your sellers are finding you on Facebook talking about it, um, it it's not a very good thing. So I, I moved everything, all of that to that, that closed Facebook group, but anybody can talk in there. I mean, it's not, we're not real regulated in there. Um, but that's, that's where we, we do most of our advice giving and that kind of sort of thing. Okay. And I should mention the GVTinvestments.com website as well as they can find you on YouTube under GVT Investments and that's GBT Investments. All right. Uh, Corey Thompson, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. And uh, Jonathan, you want to sign out on your end? Yes, thanks, folks. Uh, I've really enjoyed this episode. It's brought a smile to my face. Some of the remarks Corey's come out. Um, but you can tell that um, you're in the front line and you're doing this every day. You can tell straight away. And I think it's given some insights to our audience that you can still make some money out of real estate. You just got to be a bit creative and think a bit out of the box. So I've really enjoyed the episode and we'll be back next week um, with another guest about giving you some insights or some training how to become a better real estate agent or property professional. See you next week, folks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.